What's up, everybody? This is Koro Bloom coming at you live. I am alone, as you could probably tell from the title, Solo Koro Part 2. Uh, unfortunately, Tavares is a much, much busier man than I at work today, and uh, it's an all-day thing, you know? Sometimes you just can't get out of it, and that's alright. I get it. I don't feel abandoned. So anyway, I wanted to uh, start the show off with uh, a new tradition that we're going to do every week called the song of the week and this week's is something i discovered from dc's legends of tomorrow and fucking excellent show by the way if there's any show that i can choose out of the arrowverse to just watch pick it up anywhere anywhere in the series it's probably gonna be that one because no matter what that show's gonna be entertaining you don't have to stick with the story too much it's always something new like, they have random-ass episodes where, like, they, they go and they hang out with George Washington. Or they go and they Martin Stein goes and saves H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells, by the way, is the author of a book I'm currently reading called The Time Machine. Pretty, pretty excited about it. About halfway through. It's a classic. He's considered the father of science fiction. So, I'm really into it. Probably going to read his other books, the, uh, the Invisible Man and The War of the Worlds. And I'm really looking forward to that. But anyway... The song of the week is called Girl by Time Cop 1983 featuring Sea Waves. And it's just one of those songs that just, you know, you like, it feels floaty. You know, you got this, it's it's a vibe. It feels kind of like movie montage which is what they did in the show DC's Legends of Tomorrow. It was just one of those shows that played while a montage rolled. It's also one of those songs that you can listen to at like any time, any mood. It's like, am I sad? This shit's going to make me think about it. Am I happy? I'm a relish in this shit if I'm listening to this song. It's a wonderful song, alright? Beautiful song. Strongly recommend it. Again, that is Girl by Time Cop 1983 featuring Sea Waves. Wavy as fuck. Strongly recommend. It's been a big week for me, entertainment-wise. I uh, caught up with DC's Legends of Tomorrow, as I said. Um... I'm going to be talking later about a TV show called uh, Wu Assassins that I'm currently working on. And uh, the Wu-Tang TV show on Hulu. Wu-Tang, an American saga. It's about three, It's only three episodes in right now, but I'm fucking loving it. I'll be able to talk about that more later. I also watched the first two of the John Wick trilogy. And you know, I, I, I love my boy Keanu. Love my boy Keanu. So you know what? Short little intro, let's roll the tape. Roll it. You have now entered the Penny Bloom Podcast. Hosted by none other than Colton Robinson and Tavares Pennington. I hope you are prepared for a show. Unlike any that you've ever seen before. Or heard, I guess it's a podcast. So you aren't going to see anything. I don't know if you can tell, but I recorded that intro when I was like sick as fuck. You can kind of hear me like nasally and shit up in that. Okay, I'm going to be talking about music for our first segment. The new music this week. We got some good ass shit, bro. We got that new Post Malone, Hollywood's Bleeding. We got Mirrorland by Earthgang. And a lesser known release was This Summer, the EP by Alicia Cara. Bro, I'm going to start with Hollywood's Bleeding. This is the shit I want from Posty. 
All right. Post Malone didn't hit right with beer bongs and Bentleys for me. I mean, it was good. It had good songs. Don't get me wrong. Bars. But it just wasn't like this complete project for me. You know, it just felt like a collection of songs that were just kind of thrown together. Hollywood's Bleeding feels right. He stepped up. He leveled up with this shit. Like Jules and Euphoria. He just reached this next level, you know? And you gotta fucking love it. This shit bangs. The hip-hop songs, knocking. Alternative songs, knocking. The pop songs, knocking. I mean, the shit goes brazy crazy. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, some of my favorites, personally, I love the title track, Hollywood's Bleeding. I loved Saint-Tropez. Um, A Thousand Bad Times, probably my favorite song on it. Um, I'd mention Enemies featuring the baby, but that's going to be like the next sicko mode. I can already tell I'm going to be annoyed as shit with that song here in a couple months because it is going to be overplayed like a motherfucker. Don't get me wrong. Very good song. Very good. Um, but A Thousand Bad Times, that, that was my shit. Um... Allergic was good. Uh, I'm gonna be so good. I mean, just so many good songs that came from this album. I mean, and that sh- he had a short little song that was just, it felt kind of out of place in this. Like it was kind of an interlude. But uh, Internet, fucking great. There were so many good songs on this album. And if Beer Bongs and Bentleys got Grammy nominations... This better be getting those Grammy nominations. Alright? This is ten times better than Beer Bongs and Bentley wa- Bentley's was. I'd argue it's probably better than Stoney was. And Stoney was fucking great, too. But Hollywood's bleeding, man. You gotta listen to that shit. It is so, so good. It's like heartbroken anthem after heartbroken anthem, bro. It is fucking wonderful. I mean, and the features on this shit, man. You got the baby who is always going to go crazy. It's a guarantee at this point. He is always going to rock a feature if he is on it. You've also got Future and Halsey on Die For Me. That's a good duo. You know you're going to get some streams with that shit. You got Meek Mill and Lil Baby on a song. Also going to get some streams automatically out of that. And you got Ozzy Osbourne and Travis Scott on the same song? Ozzy Osbourne and Travis Scott? Oh, you know I'm a fuck with that shit. You know it. Whether you fuck with Ozzy Osbourne is neither here nor there. You just gotta recognize that the man had some musical talent, and it was fucking glorious when it was on display. You also had a song featuring SZA, might I add, Staring at the Sun. Might be the vibiest song on it. Might be. Great, great song. You also got a Young Thug feature. You had Sunflower with Sway Lee, which is always going to be a bop. I'm always going to remember Sunflower because of Into the Spider-Verse. Fucking fantastic movie. A classic. A magical work of art. But yeah, Hollywood's bleeding, man. What a fucking album. And you know, it's not just... Like, he was saying some shit sometimes, you know? It was, it was just enough. It hit right. 
in the uh, in an interview with Zane Lowe, he said, "I'm not trying to make anything massive. I'm not trying to make hit records." Well, sorry, Posty. I promise these are some hit records. Maybe you need to keep trying not making hits because that's when your best shit is coming out. I mean, fuck, bro. This was a good-ass album. And on first listen, I remember I was listening. It was just the other day, so obviously I remember. I was just going through. And when I'm listening to an album, on first listen, if I fuck with it, I add it to my playlist, my cruising playlist, which is just my driving playlist, which is like a thousand songs at this point. I added every single song to this playlist after my first listen because every song on it is fucking heater like i can listen to any of them at almost any time they're kind of like that song i mentioned at the beginning by time cop 1983 if you are feeling in a good mood you're gonna relish in that good mood if you're sad they might make you feel that shit all right that's just kind of what Posty does, too. He's consistent with that level of shit right there. And he's got... He's just got so much random... Like, he's got some rock shit. He's got some synth pop shit. I mean, it's just... Mmm, baby. I fucking love me some Posty when he's on top of his game. And I look back at Beer Bongs and Bentleys, and obviously there were some good songs. I loved Rich and Sad. I loved Spoil My Night. I loved... I mean... It got overplayed like a motherfucker, but Rockstar was good. There's no denying it. I loved Psycho, Better Now, Ball For Me, Stay. Ooh, Stay. I forgot about Stay. Stay is a fucking good song. I mean, Candy Paint, Candy Paint with the white on top. I mean, you, you can't deny that this shit's good. I mean, Stony. Stony was such a good album. I believe it came out December 2nd. 2016 either that or december 9th one of the two but i remember listening to it and being like oh damn so he's really got it like that because i knew white iverson obviously everybody knew white iverson but that album made me know posty had the shits we just had to smell it sorry about that that was kind of nasty i won't say that again i'll move on to the next album that I want to talk about, Mirrorland by Earth Gang. Obviously, me and Tavares have been fucking with Dreamville forever. And Earth Gang has been a part of Dreamville for a little bit. I've been familiar with them since Strays with Rabies when I heard Licasto. And that shit is fucking fuego. I saw the m- music video for that and I was immediately in love with Earth Gang. But Mirrorland dropped this past Friday as well. On September 6th. And let me tell you. They also leveled up. This shit is glorious as well. I mean. I've loved Proud of You with Young Thug. Like that shit is undeniable. I think that's going to end up being like a classic song. That I look back at and and go like shit man. That was a bop. Proud of You. um, This side. This side is probably my personal favorite. That or Blue Moon. Fucking loved Blue Moon. You also had a a Swivel, Top Down, another great one. Kalani on Trippin'. Bro, that shit was glorious. Kalani? I mean, anytime Kalani's on a feature, she's gonna be great. And she actually tweeted that this shit was her favorite feature verse that she's ever done. 
Also on Twitter, J.I.D. said Tequila featuring T-Paint is one of the greatest songs in the world and also deemed Mirrorland the album of the year. I don't know if I'd go that far yet. We might get there. I think it's definitely top five hip-hop. Like, almost no doubt in my mind. It's definitely up there because this shit was that good. I just haven't had a lot of time to think about it. There were some good-ass songs. I mean, just this week was amazing for some just top-to-bottom schmacks. These albums were astounding. And this was the uh, third proper album, but I believe it was their Dreamville debut I don't know. I would have to look into it more, but obviously Earth Gang shined on Revenge of the Dreamers. They've been doing well. They're going to keep doing well. They're going on tour here pretty soon. They're going to be going to the Granada in Lawrence, Kansas. I might try to head out to that show. Um, I'm, I fucking love their shit. I mean, Johnny Venus is a fucking baller, dude. Every time he hops on the track, I'm, I'm in it, bro. That shit is so, so good. Just everything about it. I mean, Avenue. Avenue? What a good fucking song. If you are unfamiliar with Earth Gang, I strongly, strongly recommend that you go through their discography and just relish in the shit. Because they have so much good music. And it's so Atlanta that it... It's so Atlanta, but so original. You know, it, it's very... It, it's the first duo since Outkast, I'd say, that's like... Yo, you got this shit, right? You know, because like, and they're both out of Atlanta. It's perfect. It's just, it's like Outkast reincarnated and they, they kept doing their creative different shit. It's, it's amazing. I love it. Sorry about that. I had to take a drink. Um, next up, I wanted to talk about Alicia Cara's This Summer. I'm sure... Me and Tavares will probably talk about this more in the future, but Alicia Cara is just amazing. I've loved her music for a while now. Um, I remember when I heard her on 1-800-273-8255, I think that's what it's called, the Suicide Hotline by Logic. Wonderful song, by the way. Um, But Alicia Cara has just one of the more angelic voices there is, and she's beautiful, she's got beautiful voice, and the shit she sing about is just wonderful, I mean, like, this, this six-track EP was glorious, um, Okay Okay was a bop, Ready was a bop, What's On Your Mind was fucking glorious, there are a lot of good songs, I'd say six of them, 18 minutes worth on this EP. I don't have much more to say about her. Um, I strongly, strongly recommend you familiarize yourself with Alicia Cara. She's not exactly a small artist by any means, but you should definitely check her shit out for sure. Next segment. In TV, I watched The Woo Assassins, a Netflix original series. And it's, uh, I'm not going to lie. At first, I wasn't all in. The first four episodes or so, I was like, okay, I think, I think this will end up okay. 
And it did. I'm glad it did. The last half of the season, it had me on the edge of my seat, and it was just so much better directed. The cinematography was better the second half. Overall, second half of the first season, amazing. First half, it was definitely that adjustment period, that getting to know them. And uh, it's a, uh, a story set in San Francisco. A warrior chosen as the latest and last Wu assassin must search for the powers of an ancient triad and restore balance in San Francisco's Chinatown. Uh, basically, Kaijin is selected to become the Wu assassin. And when he is selected, he is given this... I don't know exactly what it is. It's like a, a, a totem of sorts. And... It, it contains the power of a thousand monks, and it gives him the wisdom and the ability to fight like a badass. And it also makes other people perceive him as a bald monk, even though he is a young, 20-something, definitely head full of hair dude. And the show gets really really intense and really good. And by the end of it, you are really drawn to all of these characters. You know, there's a it basically surrounds Kaijin and his three closest friends, along with a cop named uh, CG. And personally, I think uh, Kaijin was probably my favorite character, but I loved CG. She was kind of a badass, and so was Jenny. Jenny Wa runs her own restaurant called uh, Master Wa, and it's like this renovated, super nice, luxurious, lavish Chinese restaurant in the heart of Chinatown. On the outside, it looks kind of run down, but when you get inside, it's like glorious. And the reason it looks like this is because she took a payment from Uncle Six, the leader of the triad in Chinatown of San Francisco. And that anything that involves some sort of uh, mobster, mafia, triad type shit, I'm going to be in, you know? And this show is heavily rooted in that gang culture of uh the triad and there's a uh, there's a uh, scottish mob leader and uh there's just so many random different things involved and it's it gets really fucking good and there's definitely going to be a second season i don't know if netflix has officially confirmed it but judging by the end of the season end of season one they leave you on something of a cliffhanger and uh by the end you you want some more you want that season two so, uh, if you have never watched Wu Assassins, I strongly recommend it. It's a great, great show, and it's rooted in Chinese culture. It's uh, got Iko Wa starring as Kai Jin, uh, Byron Mann as Uncle Six, Li Jun Li as Jenny Wa, Lawrence Cao as uh, Tommy Wa, and Catherine Winnick as Christine Gavin. Catherine Winnick, uh, as CG, actually directed what was probably my favorite episode of the season there were there was this one episode where they kept reliving like a certain period of time well they didn't keep reliving it but we kept getting different perspectives on a certain period of time and it just evolved and every time you got a little bit more of the story and every time you were like oh shit oh shit oh shit what's gonna happen and you finally get there and you're like oh my god you get a bunch of twists and turns. You get some serious hero and villain shit. You get some good, good character development. And the villains in the show are actually really intriguing, which at the beginning I was worried about. It seemed kind of corny. 
It did, but it really, really pulled itself together. I always like a villain that has his roots in a, has his or her roots in a belief that I can kind of understand. Like, if I can understand the villain's reason for what he's doing, I'm automatically going to be a lot more intrigued in whatever I'm watching. And this show does a wonderful, wonderful job of that. Um... I don't know that there's much else to say about that show, to be honest. I like uh, I like having Tavares here because it just gives me someone to riff off of. Um, this seems a lot more informational than usual, uh, but you know I fuck with it. I like I like doing this. It's kind of fun. Uh, but dude, if you've not seen Wu Assassins, I recommend it. Definitely recommend it. It's worth your time. Next we have Wu Tang, an American saga. Now this. I have been excited for for months. I am yet to watch the third episode. I'm actually going to watch it tonight. And uh, But based off the first two episodes, it is pretty badass. It's written by the RZA, who is the frontman, or ipso facto frontman of the Wu-Tang Clan. And uh, he's pretty much the main character in this show. You also get uh, some looks at a, a young method man and a ghostface killer. And a misconception about the show is that it's a documentary. It is not. It is a live-action, dramatized version of their of their coming up, their origin story, and it's fucking dope. You get you, and what's fun is like when you can recognize them immediately. Like Dave East plays Method Man, and it is perfect. Like that is Method Man, the guy who plays ODB. Perfect, looks exactly like ODB, and whoever plays the RZA here, let me look that up real quick because that kid deserves some props he is a good ass actor but uh anyway i'll move on for a second it's got shameek moore it's got dave east joey badass will make an appearance later it's got some pretty pretty big names and some guys you haven't heard of that could definitely make a name for themselves you know they've got some good good actors in this shit and uh if it's just so cool to see like the guy who plays uh, Ghostface Killer looks just like Ghostface Killer, and it it's really interesting to see who they were before it all, before all the fame and before everything that happened. The Wu Tang Clan is one of the just most intriguing and interesting stories there is in all of hip hop and really all of music, because they were just judging by the show, especially like when you watch it, they were loosely connected. They weren't really tight when they were young. They brought, they came together for the music, you know? And th- they have some loose relations, like Method Man and RZA were making some music together on their own. And uh, it doesn't seem like ODB was actually that into, like, rapping yet, judging by what I've seen. And just, like, Ghostface hadn't gotten behind a mic, hasn't gotten behind a mic yet two, two episodes, and they're really into, like, they're really into their survival. You know, they're doing everything they can to get through what they're going through. And uh, it's just there's there's already been heartbreaking moments. There's already been really dope ass moments. There's been some scary moments. It's just it's an up and it's a thrill ride. You know, like it is a good, good show so far. And I'm really, really looking forward to the rest of the episodes being released on Hulu whenever they get released. Next segment. 
1986 best film. 1986. It was a good year for movies. You had Pretty in Pink, a John Hughes classic just like The Breakfast Club. You had Aliens, a science fiction classic. You had Top Gun. I mean, Tom Cruise, undeniable. You had Ferris Bueller's Day Off, another John Hughes classic. John Hughes, amazing filmmaker. Amazing. You also had Hoosiers, one of the greatest sports movies of all time. And you had Big Trouble in Little China, one of the stupidest movies of all time, one of my personal favorite bad movies. That's probably a segment we'll have to do at some point, is best bad movies, because, you know, Big Trouble in Little China is definitely up there for me. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, that's a pretty terrible movie that I absolutely love watching. But, 1986's best film, for me, and for pretty much everyone, is Stand By Me. Dude, Stand By Me. Based on The Body by Stephen King and written for, uh, written for the movie by Bruce A. Evans and Raymond Gideon. This shit is a fucking ride, okay? And it's, there's just something about it. Like, I can't, it's, it's this intangible thing, a quality about it that's just excellent. Here, I'll read you the synopsis real quick. After the death of his friends, a writer recounts a boyhood journey with his friends to find the body of a missing boy. That's not as in-depth as I'd like. Here, let's go with this one. It's the summer of 1959 in Castle Rock, Oregon, and four 12-year-old boys, Gordy, Chris, Teddy, and Vern, are fast friends. After learning of the general location of the body of a local boy who has been missing for several days, they set off into woods to see it. Along the way, they learn about themselves, the meaning of friendship, and the need to stand up for what is right. This shit is so good. It's directed by Rob Rayner, who is an amazing, amazing director and uh, and actor. I've seen him in. Uh, he was in Wolf of Wall Street. He was uh, he was the father of Jordan Belfort in that movie. He was in All in the Family, which was kind of the first one of the first shows to kind of not care about political correctness and kind of was edgy with its comedy. Uh, he was in New Girl as Jessica Day's father, or Zoe Deschanel, in that show. And he's an extremely, extremely accomplished director, which I had not realized until I was doing the research for the segment. He uh, directed The Princess Bride in 1987, uh, When Harry Met Sally in 1989, A Few Good Men with Tom Cruise in 1992, and The Bucket List in 2007. The Bucket List is an excellent movie, one that goes under the radar for a lot of people, but I strongly, strongly recommend it. And when you look at this cast, it's just way, way ahead of its time for what you'd expect. Like, you had Kiefer Sutherland, who even still is making shit. Jerry O'Connell, who kept making shit. Corey Feldman, who was a star in the 80s. Him and Corey Haim were in so many movies together. The Coreys were famous. You had Will Wheaton, and arguably the most famous of all, River Phoenix. Uh, River Phoenix was destined for an amazing career. And he was one of the great young actors in Hollywood at the time until he died of a very public death in a drug overdose outside the Viper Room, a uh, Johnny Depp-owned club in the Hollywood Hills. He was uh, He's also the brother to Joaquin Phoenix, who is a great actor, kind of a scary and crazy man, but great actor who will portray an amazing Joker, I'm sure, here coming up in October. 
River Phoenix was also a very good friend to uh, Keanu Reeves. Shit, I forgot what I was saying. Oh yeah, Stand By Me. Stand By Me is an excellent movie with an excellent soundtrack. I mean, obviously you have the iconic Stand By Me by uh, Benny King. Rest in peace. I mean, so darling, darling, stand by me. So, so good. One of my favorite songs of all time, easily. I mean, you also had, I mean, you had some other songs that weren't as good as that song, but you had some great songs. You had Great Balls of Fire by uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, Every Day by Buddy Holly. Lollipop, lollipop, boo, lolly, 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 lollipop, lollipop by the Cordettes and uh, Yakety Yak, Don't Talk Back by the uh, Coasters. And so many more songs. All in all, just great soundtrack for an even better movie and it was it was a true 80s film you know it was that coming of age story kind of similar to the breakfast club in that way but it had more of an edge you know the essence of the film really lied in its realism it was capturing the sort of pressures that a teenager of that time or any time really would would have to face and confront and even more to me it represents like the end of innocence this film it legitimately revolves around them finding a dead body. So obviously that is going to take away innocence pretty quick. And it's just overcoming certain obstacles that most teenagers have to overcome, you know? It's just it's just little things at first, you know? Standing up to Big Brother, shit like that. And it just gradually gets bigger and bigger and until they, by the end of this, there are some 12-year-olds who have been through some shit. Gosh, what an amazing film. It's ups and downs, chock full of laughs, tears. Very few movies ever have been as brilliant. And it's had clear influence on several films. Again, much like The Breakfast Club, the coming-of-age story that it is has been solidified as one of the best genres of film there is. And, uh, gosh, it doesn't get much better than Stand By Me. That is a fucking movie, dude. A fucking movie. Yeah. You know what? I made it through that pretty quick. See what happens when Tavares isn't here to distract me? Seriously, fuck that guy. I'm just kidding. I love you, Tavares. You know I love you. I think I'm going to sign off there. You know, 30 minutes. Not, not a lot of talk, but enough. I feel like you got the gist. We had fun. A couple laughs on the way, maybe some crying. I hope you cried, just in general. It's healthy, sometimes. Sorry, I don't know. I, this is just, I, I ramble when Tavares isn't here. Um, so thank you to uh, Keanu Reeves. Thank you, uh, Zendaya. I love you guys. Uh, you're really the best. Uh, shout out to Tom Holland. You're Spidey forever. Um, even if it's not in the MCU. I love you. Um, peace, love, and bloom. This has been Solo Coro Part 2. <laughs>